We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius, and a fun night in downtown Los Angeles last night. Uh, never a dull moment. A test of the Lakers' depth. Lakers were without four uh, rotational players. Gabe Vincent was out. Rui was out, along with Bando, of course. And then Torian Prince was a late scratch. And so a great test of the Lakers' depth. And in the first quarter was much like... Many of the other first quarters so far this season, Lakers go down by as many as 19 as Kawhi Leonard has a huge quarter scoring 18 points. Um, and Lakers kind of tread water throughout the second quarter, going to halftime down 61 to 48. By the end of the game, Lakers would have 130 points. And in the third quarter, the thing that I thought really turned the game around was with 422 left, Cam Reddish subbed out for... Jackson Hayes. Hayes came into the game giving the Lakers a, a very rare look. I'm doing an LFR video on it right now of a three big man front court D of Hayes, Christian Wood, and Anthony Davis. And it totally flipped the game, right? They come in with 422 left. By the end of the quarter, the Lakers have the lead. Uh, and Lakers continue to, to push that with behind an incredible performance by LeBron James, right? Kawhi and PG combined for 73 points. LeBron was right there with them as a scorer, 35 points, had 12 rebounds and seven assists, and was just unbelievable in the fourth quarter in overtime. And so the Lakers really pushed the issue in the fourth quarter, get up by as much as nine, largely on the strength of those bigger groups. Then I swear we make one out of two free throws in every clutch situation. <laughs> like for years going and back years, years and years. Man, it yes, goes back, back years. years. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And so Lakers do that like four times. Clippers come back. Paul George hits some great threes. There's a foul on Cam Reddish uh, in the closing moments. George hits all three free throws, sends us to overtime. But Lakers find a way to pull it out in OT. Again, back on the back of those bigger type of lineups, punctuated by a Christian Wood putback jam. And so lots to talk about, Darius. But Lakers get the win, move to three and two on the year. Six or seven games in one, right? Like the type of game that last night, as I sat down to recap it, I found myself with like, I don't know, man, 
a six sentence run on sentence trying to describe like <laughs> like just the last part of the game of how the Lakers came back, came all the way back, took full control of the game, gave it all the way back with some missed free throws and some excellent clipper shot making, then took control back again in overtime. Just another sort of resilient game from the Lakers battling against a Clippers team that I thought showed great resolve themselves, right? Like Mm -hmm. Clippers were playing on the second night of a back-to-back. Their rotation was uh, shortened as well, Mm -hmm. right? They had traded for James Harden. P.J. Tucker did play, but did not look acclimated yet to anything that the Clippers were, were trying to do. James Harden was in the building and on the bench, but did not play. And of course, the Clippers sent out a bunch of depth in that trade too, right? And so two sort of teams with their depth getting tested and their stars really showing up. Like you mentioned LeBron, AD was brilliant Mm -hmm. again. Um, We'll get to him. But in some ways, this was a game of whose support players stepped up in order to be like stars in their role, right? And it was the second Really strong game from D'Angelo Russell in this regard. Um, You talked about LeBron having a fantastic fourth quarter. AD had a tremendous third quarter with with 12 of his 25 points in in that quarter. But D'Lo also had a great third third quarter with with 12 points as well. He went five for six from the field in that period and was like all on two pointers as well. Mm -hmm. Like no threes in that quarter. Russ was not paying attention on a couple of plays and yeah, he would, he burned him for it. Yeah. Russ was playing free safety and, but free was like, everyone's free to do whatever they want yeah. around him. <laughs> right. Like he went in straight roamer mode. Um, and D'Lo made a bunch of smart cuts and just lingered yeah. around the basket and snuck into the crevices of the defense and just got several buckets around the rim. And then our boy, Austin, Yes, Austin returned from the uh, side down. Yeah, it was like, oh, Halloween is over. Like, <laughs> like he, like he crossed back over to right. the other side, right? Um, <laughs> his picture was up on the ofrenda, and he came to visit the game a little bit today. <laughs> um, no, but Austin was struggling early in the game again. At one point, and I texted you guys this. Austin was one for five from the field at one point, so he had one basket and five turnovers. And at that point of the game, Austin had had 15 made field goals for the season and 14 turnovers, mm. right? And so that's something I didn't tweet, but I messaged you guys in the thread like, man, like Austin's just like, like, where is it right now with him? But in typical Austin fashion, he is a perseverance guy and he persevered and he found he found something, Pete, when Darwin went to the no LeBron, no D'Lo, mm-hmm. no AD group for like a very short stretch. And Austin got a chance to run a couple of pick and rolls and just be the lead ball handler guy out there without anyone. And then AD came back in and he got the highlight play where he crossed up Powell. <laughs> where he crossed up Powell. It's funny because in the video, you can hear them screaming ice. Right. And so they're trying to ice the screen against Austin, but Austin is already setting up that play 
to cross back over to go baseline and and deny the middle screen. He and so yeah. he uses Powell's momentum against him. Powell jumps topside in order to go ice, crosses his own legs up and just falls on the ground. Yeah, and he tripped right on Austin a little is, bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Right as Austin is crossing up to to go baseline, then Austin buries the jumper, and then he was nails again down the stretch in OT. And so it's like third quarter, AD and D'Lo. Fourth quarter, LeBron and OT was about Austin Reeves, and it mm-hmm. was, and then Kristen Wood sprinkled all in there with his rebounding, and and this is why I said it's like six or seven games in one, right? Because there were so many different things, and when Darvin's talking post game and saying this is a team victory, this is what he meant. Everyone yeah. who played was a key contributor, and and it was great to see. One of the things that really stood out to me because we've had many games over the last few seasons where we've had four plus rotation guys out. This is the first one of those where the players that remained, there was nobody that was asked to do a job that was outside of their capability, right? So Cam Reddish, I thought, played really good defense. He's got to be leading the league in tough jumpers hit right in his face, right? Like yes. there've been so many plays this def- this season where I'm, you know, I'm talking to my TV like I always do. And it's like, oh, good defense, Cam. Good defense. Ah. Nice shot, <laughs> you know, and so Paul George got him with a few of those. Uh, KD got him with a few as well. And it's one of those things where, you know, you do what you can, but he got a few wins as well. And we talk so much about like the size in the front court. And I think rightfully so that there's a, an emphasis on that. But lineups where he's like at the two and or even on guys like PG and and Kawhi, he can get some wins. He got some some deflections, got some turnovers, strips off of uh live dribbles and things like that. He had a great block against Kawhi. Pete Kawhi went oh, yeah, left. Block. And, yeah. and he tried to shoulder him off a little bit. Cam absorbed that. And then Kawhi went to shoot the fading left and Cam just elevated and blocked it. That's right. And so he's he gets some wins, right? And that's one of the things against those great players is there's going to be times where you play great defense and they still stick that jumper. And it's really about just getting you getting some wins as well. And that was something where... I want to shift our attention to the defensive end in particular during those in those bigger lineups because the way that this Lakers group can play defensively while being bigger is very different than most teams. And so let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
So the biggest reason why the really big guys in the NBA have gotten played off of the court court in a lot of situations over the last, you know, 15, 20 years of the NBA is the inability to defend the perimeter. And this is something that makes sense, right? A lot of these guys, they spend their whole lives as the big guy on their team and as a result, being responsible for a lot of the stuff that happens around the rim. And so rotating out to perimeter shooters with the speed and precision that is required in an NBA game, it's literally different than anything they've done at any other level of basketball, at least to the same type of degree. Now, one of the things that can neutralize getting into rotation in the first place is switching. The whole benefit of switching is that you kind of kill the screening game of the offense. There are things you can do, slip screens work really well, right? But by and large, you can really reduce the effectiveness of an opponent's pick and roll game, their off-ball screening and whatnot with switches. And there are different types of switches. And one of the most aggressive one is like a jump switch, meaning that as you're switching, you're not like hanging back kind of at the level of the screen, you're engaging the offensive player. And that brings me to the Lakers personnel. And the front court guys on this team, I think, are particularly uh, equipped to, to play perimeter defense in a way where when he tossed out that three big lineup, it was like, Every single one of these dudes can switch. And not only are they switching, but they're jump switching, right? And so they're kind of pressuring up on on shooters. It's not a lot of times when a big gets on a smaller guy, D, we all know there's that, oh, I'm afraid of getting beat off the dribble, so I'm going to play a little bit off you, and they will concede kind of easy jumpers. The Lakers personnel doesn't have to do that in part because they can move their feet on the perimeter, but also be, but be, but also because there's help behind them. And so the Lakers started switching. And the thing that really stood out to me, D, one play, Kawhi is driving across the lane and he's ended up with Jackson Hayes on him. He's driving left and he shoots a left-handed shot and it hits the top of the backboard, almost goes over the, the backboard. Max got a good like help contest on mm-hmm. this as well. Same thing happened to Kevin Durant, remember, in that fourth quarter of yep. – and so making guys like Kawhi and KD look bad on individual possessions, right? And Kawhi, for as great as he was in that first quarter, in the second half, the Lakers did a much better better job on him in part because of this. But getting wins like that, especially with bigger type of lineups, there, there were a few possessions where I was like, man, we really got something here because I think we can do some things that most teams that size up can't do. There's really no fear from the Lakers' big man perspective of saying like, you're going to beat me off of the dribble like every single time, right? Like mm-hmm. they will get beat off of the dribble. AD gave up an and one to Paul George late, sure. for example. And you could tell even with Hayes, Hayes is probably the most tentative in this way where he's out there and it's just like, he's like, okay, I'm going to sag off a little bit more, like, right? Because but a guy jabs at me. Sure. We'll, we'll talk more, but that's, I think that's part of like developing the chemistry and trust because, yes. because the big part of that is that if you press up and you got to lose the fear of getting beat off the dribble because you've got help behind you, right? Yeah. This is a very, when you were talking about this idea um, right now, it, it made me think of the Lakers philosophy during the championship season, the mm-hmm. 2019-20 season and what the ask was of the Lakers guards, Right. And their perimeter players, like all of those guys were asked to basically pressure the ball, 
Mm-hmm. Like, and send everything, look, send everything to the basket or into the paint. We're going to then try to force mid-range jumpers. But if a guy does try to shoot back there is like Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee or or LeBron James or a combination of all three. And back pressuring you is Danny Green, who's got great size, Alex Caruso, KCP. Yeah, no. And then even at the point of attack, like during the regular season, it was guys like Avery Bradley and KCP and Caruso, right? And they even asked this of Kuz, like, look, go try to heat up the ball. And if you get beat, it's not a big deal to us. Like we're, because the mid-range is where we want these guys to play anyway. And if they get to the basket, our bigs are going to contest. And then Mm. as bigger wings and guards we want you to then sandwich down crash down Mm -hmm. and and help on the glass and when all three bigs were in but even when it's just ad and wood that chemistry between the guys who are out on the perimeter and the guys who are on the back line it's that rebounding piece pete and and the instinct to crash down that i think improves so much because all of those guys who are bigger are used to being down there and then helping on the glass i think some of what we see when it's a bunch of small guys is their instincts aren't necessarily to go down there and rebound as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, and then I think some of our wings are particularly not the strongest rebounders anyway. Like Mm -hmm. for example, in this last game, Max got a fair amount of run and he's a name that we haven't brought up much here, but Mm -hmm. Max had a couple of really good rebounds, but it's like, it's his instinct to go down there and rebound. And you can see that he has a different nose for that, say, than Torian Prince, right? And that's no shade against Prince. It's just certain guys have different strengths and different instincts. And it's just like, although I would like to see Prince rebound more, it was nice to see Max get in there and battle for some rebounds from the guard position because the Lakers do need that. But it's that when when there's multiple bigs out there, they have the ability to help each other, they have the ability to help LeBron, and they have the ability then to secure defensive rebounds and then turn those into uh, early offense chances, which the Lakers really need in order to score better. That's so much of what our offense is, and our, especially in the first half, our half-court offense still looked bad, although there were some adjustments in the third quarter that I'm excited about that maybe we'll get to today, maybe maybe next pod, but that getting out into transition comprises a lot of the best basketball that we've played. And it's been a lot of like defense to offense type of stuff where it's like one of those bigs is contesting a jumper and then they're continuing to run. And then even if that possession doesn't end in a transition opportunity, it's like, oh, you've got Bones Highland temporarily temporarily switched on to Anthony Davis and he's fighting him for post position and he fouled him and you're out of foul. So now it's a trip to the free throw line. And so you don't think of that as like a transition play necessarily, but it's that ability to put immediate pressure and cause immediate mismatches that a lot of our best offense is coming from. So there's this like synergy between that defensive style of the bigs that are switching, that are really, you know, using their length to to get deflections. Lakers almost had a team double-double in blocks and steals, which is a tough, tough to do. Um, and then getting out on the run, there's there's a, a relationship between those two things where I think they really w- work well together. Yeah, one of the biggest plays of the game 
was on a transition play, but it came off of a miss when LeBron attacked in the open court off Mm -hmm. of, and I can't remember if it was a turnover or just a defensive rebound, but he pushed the ball out. He tried to finish with a left hand inside. It got contested well, but AD came and cleaned it up over the top of Norm Powell. Norm Powell fouled fouled him, and that's an and one putback at a critical part of the game. Mm -hmm. And it's those sorts of plays where the Lakers can start to leverage their natural advantages over many teams, right? Like, I'm sure you were watching the Spectrum feed, but I was watching the ESPN feed. Bob Myers was talking towards the end of the game when it was the LeBron, Wood, and AD trio that was in the game. And he basically said, well, with Wood out there right now, the Lakers, they really have the ability to be like a huge and oppressive yes. team. And and it was just like just him talking and saying that I thought it was super interesting just as someone who like Bob Myers was the GM of the Warriors last mm-hmm. season and the Lakers dispatched them basically playing and leveraging their physical advantages in strength and size. Now, And that was without like Rui being like a major impact in Mm -hmm. that game. It was mostly on the strength of just LeBron and AD, right? But now you add Christian Wood to that and it's just like, oh my goodness, these dudes are just bigger than all the guys that are on the opposition. And I think a key point to that is that there's a, a point where either you're reacting to the defense or the defense is reacting to you. There's a tipping point where either you're reacting to the defense or the defense is reacting to you. And I would love to see that pulled more toward those two big type of groups. There was a sub down the stretch of that fourth quarter, right, where the Clippers went very small. Zoo had been in foul trouble. Uh, Paul George had been in foul trouble as well. But they took Zoo out of the game, and they go super small. And well, so, the Lakers were cooking Zoo, too, in the pick and roll. Oh, LeBron 100%. attacked yes. him and had that left-hand bank floater off of the glass. And then when they decided to switch Zoo out, he hit the three over the top. And it was yep. just like, oh, there's no answer yeah. with Zoo yeah. Every, right Everything that you could do with him just based on physical limitations. In fact, that's a great example of why the bigger kind of slower footed guys can get played off of the floor is because of that sort of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't type of yeah. type of thing. And so Clippers go super small. We react to that by subbing out Wood for Reddish, who again, played a very good game. and But Part of how they go off down the stretch is because they are pull, they pulled Anthony Davis out on the first possession, get a layup. I think they attacked D'Lo or Austin, like right at him, get a layup at the rim, timeout. And that, that dynamic of uh, coming out of that of like Paul George coming off of a screen and shooting over the top of Reddish, right? And yeah. Reddish playing excellent defense, but it changed the whole like – the whole like uh, – dynamic of, oh, all of a sudden, the natural advantages that the Clippers often have over their opponents, Paul George and Kawhi in particular, have always been able to shoot over the top of guys. And so when you take away something that guys are used to being able to go to pretty reliably, and instead it's like, oh, Paul George has Anthony Davis with an arm up on him, or even a Christian Wood, right? And uh, that, like, I felt like we reacted to them as a result of that. Then come uh then in overtime paul george fouls out and zoo comes back in to which we respond with uh to to which we respond with wood coming back in and i thought that we gained control of the game right then again and so i feel like like there's 
a lot being pulled in this direction, right? Of like, this is the way. So let's take one more break. Keep talking about it. No, it's a great point you make, Pete. And I thought that this is probably like an inner an inner battle with Darwin even in terms of trying to sort through like what is the best micro decision in that moment in order to best match up with the group that's on the other side, right? And what advantages can we continue to have and how far do we push that before we're before that advantage then turns into something that the other team can also try to take advantage of. And it's that push and pull that is tricky against the Suns. The Suns tried to go small during a stretch and they put Kevin Durant at center. So it was a very similar tactic to what the Clippers did last night. And Darwin didn't go for the rope-a-dope. He basically kept Wood and AD in and right, Nurkic was in foul trouble. He went to the bench. Darwin's like, Okay, well, we're going to put Wood on Josh Okogie. We're going to put AD on Kevin Durant, and we're just going to continue to play. And like a possession later or two possessions later, AD got that duck in against um, Eric Gordon. He got a layup over the top, and timeout Phoenix, and Nurkic came right back in, Mm -hmm. right? And against the Clippers, Darvin decided to go in the other direction. And it was an interesting decision to me because the Clippers – didn't have enough shooting, I didn't think, to actually hurt the Lakers by spreading them out so much that there weren't going to be, quote unquote, natural matchups for the Lakers players to actually have a good defensive assignment for them, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could always put a big on Russ or you could always put a big on, on, um, on, uh, PJ Tucker, because he played in some of those minutes as well. And it's just like, just live with it, right? Well, and, and also what had been working was switching everything so that the individual matchups do matter, but there is a certain degree of like, everybody can kind of, so so long as you're keeping things either in front of you or funneling into a big, everybody can kind of switch on to somebody else and you kind of blow up a lot of what the Clippers like to do. Like, there was a possession at the end of the Utah game when the Clippers played Utah the other day in Utah. Down the stretch, it's like the last play of the game. And Kawhi is having difficulty shaking Jordan Clarkson. And I was yes. like, remember we were – and I was like, yeah. wow, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes. And so the way that the Clippers will counter that with both Paul George and Kawhi is they'll put them off of the ball. And kind of navigating off-ball screens can be a little bit trickier, but that's how they came back against us was doing that. But if as you're, if you're jump switching in their face with a, a tall guy and you've got help behind them, it really creates problems. So like by going smaller – I got a stat for you, D. The lineups with LeBron and Anthony Davis – that have not had a third player in the front court that has size, right? So this is LeBron and AD on the court, Wood, Rui, or Jackson Hayes off of the court have played 91 minutes together to minus 14.7 net rating. And so to me, yes, there is that tipping point of, oh, hey, if we do this too much, right, we might be in trouble in a different way. I would argue that like the, the gap is so vast and that... Also, when you have LeBron and AD lineups really struggling after a certain stretch, that's got to be a sign that, hey, something's structurally wrong 
with yes. with this type of approach, you know? And so I don't know, man, there's just like a bright neon sign right now to, to me and watching these games saying like going big, that smash mouth hoops is, is the way. Well, this is also too a question about like, well, it'd really be nice to get Jared Vanderbilt back soon. And he, there was a pregame report where, um, Vando was seen at the end of practice the other day and he was starting to do some on-court work, but Darwin clarified that it's like he's still doing basically stationary work like on the court and, and, and he's not doing a lot of movement stuff. And I think we're still, what, like eight or nine days out from Vando's next evaluation, maybe yeah, 10? about a week. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So – so still TBD on on when Vando will return. But Vando's that interesting swing player where we don't consider him a big defensively, but he does a lot of big things in terms of like he will rebound a little bit better mm-hmm. and he is a better um, point of attack perimeter defender. Yeah. And, and so that's like the swing player that could be that third forward, right? This to me is the biggest dilemma that Darwin faces in that his – defensive scheme is built on having a main point of attack guy. And so if you were to say start Christian Wood, the question becomes, who becomes your main point of attack defender? Devo? Austin? Right? Yeah. I could see I could see why they wouldn't want to do that, right? To me, like the if you're going to – again, I, this is just something my heart's kind of set on, right? With the I, yeah. I think this is a team that should be like a 90% of the time too big look type of, type of team. I think you can put Anthony Davis as your point of attack defender in a too big lineup and just switch any balls. Like, I think you can do some, some freakish Super stuff interesting things. with yeah. this, with this particular roster. And where normally if you were going to have that type of length, we had that in 2020, but it's JaVale. And so there's offensive complications that come with yes. that. Right. And so, but having at least some length, behind there and yeah the ability to switch screens and to do things like that i think you can do some really cool stuff uh, with with this group that probably november may be a little early from for that and it, maybe it's even closer to playoff time or actual playoff series but i really think that if you're just looking to buy time for vando to get back that you can still go too big right and and kind of not go down by 15 points in the first quarter. <laughs> That's yeah. something we need to shore up, D, because for all of the positivity off of that one, AD playing 48 minutes is bad. LeBron played, what, 41, 42? This is, remember in the offseason, our dreams and hopes and plans were like, oh, we've got all this depth. Isn't it going to be nice to have LeBron and AD chilling? Let's have LeBron eating fruit bowls on the bench as often as possible. It's been yeah. the other way. It's been the stars covering for a lot of the the ills on the team right now. Well, part of that too is, and and this is, I think, a great place to to pivot before we wrap up is, to me, so much of what's happening with the Lakers' offense is still about like how good are your guards going to be, and so in the first half, D'Lo was three for nine for eight points, right, and Austin, like I said, was one for five. He had two points. Both of those guys were a minus 11 and both of them played about 17 minutes each. Right now, D'Lo or Austin had actually passed the ball fair, like fairly well. Um, he had five, five assists as well. But like I said earlier, he had five turnovers. And, and so it's just like there was a push and pull with him in terms of his um, decision, general decision making, but also mm-hmm. like how the Clippers were being very physical with him and it was disrupting his handle and he was getting passes deflected. A lot of the stuff that we'd seen to this point in the season. So 
it's no coincidence, Pete, that like the Lakers offense takes off in the second half, not because LeBron and AD were like so much better than what they were in the first half. They were actually probably like they had better spurts in the third and the fourth quarter in terms of individual dominance. But what really ended up happening was D'Lo found his shot. Austin started to finally find a rhythm offensively. And suddenly the balance between what you're asking of your stars and what your support perimeter players are actually providing, that balance is realigned and, and, and it becomes more of a equal opportunity system where, where all these guys are contributing. And so Talk to me about what, you, what you've seen from D'Lo in these last couple of games, especially after he had a rough start to the season as well. And then Austin breaking out of his like early season slump. I thought he had some thoughtful things to say about himself when he was talking to Mike in the walk-off portion of the interview. I think one thing to really consider for our guards, especially the returning guys, is that the geometry of their decisions is different than it was last year by going from four out to five out. The passing angles are different. The driving lanes are different. It's just a new thing to learn. It's a new puzzle to to solve. And so, you know, the Clippers, that's what they do. They got ball pressure defenders with long arms. They get a lot of deflections. They're a good perimeter defensive team. They lead the league in deflections, Pete. Yeah, that totally makes sense, right? And so, uh, so they're going to do that to teams, but that's something that we've seen with Austin from pretty much every game up until this point is a lot of deflected passes. And him, he in particular has been dribbling into single gaps. There are more single gaps in a five-out offense than there are in a four-out offense. And basically what happens when you do that is you allow the the player who's defending the perimeter player that's one position away to like dig in and help a little bit. And he's still close enough to his guy to get back if you pass it to that next position. Also, that passing angle is a sharper angle, meaning that it's easier to deflect for that guy. So basically, I I, I would call that when uh, in, in five out looks like the, the triangle of death, like when I was t- talking to players yeah. about that. And I think we'll post on the LFR pod Twitter at some point sort of an overhead view of what this looks like. But basically, you get surrounded by three guys, the back pressure guy, the big that's in front of you, and then that help defender. And so it makes all of the these really tight windows. And we've been talking about phone booth basketball and all of that, right? And uh, that's a big reason why LeBron has really had been the only guard for the first few games to kind of navigate that is because he's big enough to be like to play in a phone booth. As And I think that's going to be a storyline throughout the season. But with Austin, one thing that we did differently in that second half was a lot of empty side pick and rolls, right? Where what you have to do in, in five out type of looks is create double gaps, right? And so it's about bending that five out look in different directions and overloading it to different sides, giving the ball handler a little more space. And so like that play where he crossed up Powell, part of that is because that's classic two-man game. Other three dudes are standing on the other side of the court. And so I know I didn't get to D-Lo then, but Austin is the guy that is like figuring this out the most. D'Lo has more reps in five-out style offense. He was a Golden State Warrior. This is more of a natural type thing to him. He's done better in uh, in navigating that phone booth type of basketball. But yeah. that's that's what I'm seeing particularly with, with Austin last night. No, I thought the adjustment of having the guy in the corner vacate as mm-hmm. Austin was on the right wing in that order to play. the double gap. Yep, exactly. Yes. 
that that was the key adjustment that helped open up Austin's game. And then it's also no no coincidence to me that Austin did his best when Zubats was in the game and yes. they started to run pick and roll at him with Zoo in a drop coverage. He's right? a drop because, killer, absolutely. And so Austin was great at playing that style with the empty corner, right? And so it's like, I, I'm not necessarily sure that Austin took huge strides in like figuring things out within the context of the team's five outlooks. Like I still think that Agreed. he's taking his lumps a little bit there. I thought the coaches did a better job of saying, this is what works for you. We've got to start doing some things to open up the game and put you in positions that look more familiar mm -hmm. in order to unlock the parts of of your game that are strengths. It's no coincidence to me, Pete, that it's just like once he once he got into some of the sets that looked more familiar to him, he looked like the player he was last season. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, there we That's highlighted right. the play against Powell, but the other classic Austin play was the pick and roll going middle to his left hand and then the drifting right with the guy undercutting his backside mm -hmm. and one. like yep. classic big guard university stuff where he is sort of putting the guy in jail a little bit in order to go into his jumper and using that back pressure that the guy that the guard wants to deploy against you in a drop coverage against him. Austin's brilliant at that, at slowing down just enough to basically draw draw the contact and still keep his balance to hit the bucket. And, right. and so like these are coaching adjustments as much as they are the players finding their stride, right? And it's that's where coaching still matters, even if we don't often talk about like the the symbiotic relationship between how you unlock a player that could be struggling a little bit. Yeah, when things are out of sync, it can show up very quickly and very severely, even amongst players that you know you know can can really play. And so, one thing uh, that they did in the second half too that I really would like to see more of is they would give AD the ball on the elbow on some of those plays where they would empty out that corner and run kind of two man two man game off of that. Uh, and so there was a give and go with D'Lo and AD where. AD was standing in one place and it was Austin and D'Lo, you know, running off that. And, and yeah. it flowed out of that in ways where like the ball being stationary and people moving around that is more, more five out style basketball than running pick and roll rolls. And so we got, we didn't have a ton of half court possessions in that comeback third quarter, 39 points, high scoring quarter of the season so far. Um, but when we did, there were, I think three different possessions in that third quarter where we used AD as that kind of hub to, to flow around that I thought was super, super helpful. All right. Fun game. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll give you one more pod before the weekend. Uh, Lakers will be playing again at Orlando, starting a road trip on Saturday. We will be back probably on Monday to, to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties.
Lakers and NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.